Hey, everybody. Thank you for stopping by and doing Bible study with me today. Uh, remember that you can listen to this passively at first, um, but to get the most of it, remember, just grab your Bible and sit down with me and let's just do Bible study together. All right. So if you're ready, let's get started. Thank you for coming by today. I hope you're having a good day. We're going to do Bible study. Um, thank you for doing Bible study with me. This is the His Top Ones channel. If you're new here, thank you for stopping by. Um, today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4. So hopefully you're ready. I actually am. So get excited and let's get started. Okay, if you haven't already, go ahead and set your atmosphere. You know, the more comfortable you feel, the more you will look forward to doing it and spending this time um, studying God's Word. And so we're going to use the Berean Study Bible. You can find that on BibleHub.com. You can also download it if you go to a Berean.Bible and they have several versions. They have the Word version, the PDF version. Um, and so you can even do digital Bible study if you would like. Uh, it's good also if you have an additional phone or tablet so you can scan any QR codes that come up. And of course, grab your highlighters, journals, pens, and pencils. And with that, we will jump right in. So we're going to remind ourselves of why we do what we do. You know, that's a good um, way to just kind of jumpstart. Sometimes your flesh is fighting against you and you're thinking, you know, I have better things to do. I really don't feel like reading the Bible today. But if we just sometimes just take a scripture and remind ourselves of why we do what we do. So we're going to find um, some advice from the Apostle Paul in Acts 20 verse 32. And it reads, and now brethren, I commit you to God. So Paul is talking to the elders. You know, he's getting ready to um, go, I believe, to Jerusalem. And he's just giving them some advice. So if you want to read the entire chapter, it's a good chapter to read. So let me start again. And now, brethren, I commit you to God. I deposit you in his charge, entrusting you to his protection and care. And I commend you, here it is, to the word of his grace, to the commands and counsels and promises of his unmerited favor. So right there, you know, when we study the Bible, we're looking for his commands, his counsels and his promises. So let's keep reading. It is able to build you up and to give you your rightful inheritance. What's the it? It's he's talking about the word. It's able to give us, to build us up and to give us our rightful inheritance among all God's set apart ones, those consecrated, purified, and transformed of soul. Man, that's good. 
So in addition to, you know, really just settling ourselves down, we'll do what we call scripturally focused breathing. And that's just where we rotate breathing and just hearing the scriptures. It is based on Lectio Divina, um, where you read, meditate, pray, and contemplate. So you'll hear me say this, uh, the scripture four times. And in between, we will breathe. I usually do it for about three inhaling and then exhaling for seven. It doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in all of that. You know, do whatever you need to do. We're going to look at a scripture found in Matthew 11, verse 28. I'm pretty sure you have actually heard this before. So we start with, let's take a deep inhale on the count of three, one, two, three. Inhale. Exhale for seven. And let's read it together. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Inhale. Exhale. This time I when I read it, Go ahead and just meditate on those words. Pay attention to the words that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. And I'm going to read at a slower pace each time. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Inhale. Exhale. Now this time you can even pause the video and pray it back. You know, you could say something like, I will come to you, God. You know, I come to you, God. I labor and, you know, sometimes I'm heavy laden, Father, but I know that you will give me rest. So if you need to pause the video here, you can. Let's go ahead and inhale. and exhale last time let's just contemplate and think about what this scripture is saying come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give so if you're ready. You let's just begin rest. our Bible study by praying together. You can pause the video if you'd like to just go back over it. Um, but together, let's just join together. We'll be those two or three that are gathered together in the midst. He's in the midst of us when we gather, even online. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to see another day. We thank you that you have already provided what we need for this life. For you said in your word, you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So therefore, God, we will not worry about our life. 
For you said in your word that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, Father, by faith, we are hoping for many things. You said the things that are seen are temporal and the things not seen are eternal. Because of that, we put more weight on the things that are not seen, for we know those things are eternal. We know, Father, that you are truly Jehovah Jireh in our lives. You told us to look at the birds of the air and that we can see how you take care of them, for they neither sow nor reap. Since we are more valuable to you than they are, we will not worry. Just like the lilies of the field, you will provide for us, Father. Father, you know what we need before we even ask. And you said, according to 1 John 5, 15, that you hear us. We also know, Father, that whatever we ask according to your will, it will be done. Because of this, we seek first your kingdom, knowing that all these things will be added unto us. Therefore, God, we will not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. We are confident and assured that you will take care of us. Since we know that our needs are met, we know and now get about the Father's business. We decree your kingdom come, your will be done in, for, and through us. We return to the first mandate you gave Adam and Eve. We subdue and dominate. We decree the Eden life that Christ yielded his life to give us. We know our identity. We know our purpose. We will not be deceived. You knew us before we were shaped in our mother's womb. You said, for you know the plans that you are planning concerning us, plans for prosperity and not for harm, to give us a future and a hope. Because of this, we put our faith, hope, and trust in you. You are our father, dear father and closest friend. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this week we're going to focus on again the names of God and we're going to just focus this week on Jehovah Jireh. Now I know a lot of you have probably heard of that already but it's just you never get tired of hearing and just hearing his name tells us about his attributes. So let's just take a look at where this actually came from. You can find this on uh, Wikipedia and you can actually scan uh, the QR code if you want to read further. So just follow along with me um, with this. If you look up here, it says in the book of Genesis. So that's the first time that title of God is actually shown in our Christian um, Bible. And it's Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Jireh. And it was the location of the binding of Isaac. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to read that, I would suggest you go ahead and read it. It's a powerful um, story, but it's where Yahweh told Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. Abraham named the place after God, after God had provided a ram 
to sacrifice in the place of Isaac. And so there's some additional information that you can read down here about Yahweh and it's the Tetragrammaton. Um, and that's where you see the letters Y-H-W-H. And if you look up here, it's just missing the vowels and the vowels came from the title Adonai. So that's here we get that those words or those names, Yahweh and then Jehovah. So again, you can scan the QR code right here to actually, um, if you want to read any more information about that. But the biggest thing is just look to see I mean, how has he been Jehovah Jireh in your life? A lot of times, you know, we, I can just say with myself, sometimes you get focused on, you know, maybe the material things, the things that are temporal when you think about his provision, but he's Jehovah Jireh in all ways. That is, he provides peace and he provides joy and he provides rest. And so we just thank him for being Jehovah Jireh in our lives. I don't know about you, but that is a shout and a hallelujah um, because I don't know where I would be without his provision and loving hand in my life. Let's take this time right now just to worship the Father before we start any Bible study. Um, remember from the previous teachings and videos that worship is just where we ascribe unto God the glory that is due his name. It's just telling him how much he is, how, what the value he holds in your life and that he is truly worthy of your worship. He's worthy of all of our praise. And so we just do this together even though virtually God is the one who can see you right where you are. He is Jehovah, R-O-I, Roy, and he is the God who sees all. So right now, right where you are, if you just want to lift up your hands and just tell God exactly what he means to you. This is a beautiful picture of what the actual John, who was on the island of Patmos, when he penned this book, Revelation, and left us this image. So just read along with me. And before the throne was something like a sea of glass, as clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and within. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and they worship him 
who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things by your will they exist and came to be. The song we will worship with together today is Only You Are Holy, a song by Donnie McClurkin. So right now we come before the Father with our hands lifted up and signifying that he is worth our worship. We cry out like the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Right there, right where you are, whether it's in your living room, your car, wherever you're hearing uh, my voice, just enter into worship. The song says, Only you are holy. Only you time only you are holy only you are worthy only you are
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship. We worship. Hallelujah. We will be reading Matthew 4 in the Berean Study Bible, The Temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus replied, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All this I will give you, he said, if you will fall down and worship me. Away from me, Satan, Jesus declared, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and ministered to him. Jesus begins his ministry. When Jesus heard that John had been in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus heals the multitudes. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering acute pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. The large crowds that followed him came from Galilee, 
the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. jump right in. Again, we are using uh, the Berean Study Bible, and we will be looking at Matthew chapter 4. Uh, this first section will discuss the temptation of Jesus. You know, what did he go through in that wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights? So if you look here, you will see verses in parentheses. That's just a good cross-reference that you can actually use. So at any time, if you want to actually jot that down and write it in your journal, you might find that to be helpful. So let's start. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's stop there. If we go back up to the above verses, here you note my first note here to the right. We're going to look at tempted. What actually does that mean? So if we look at the Strong's Concordance, and you can find this online at BibleHub.com, Bible Blue Letter uh, Bible, uh, Bible Gateway, you know, or even if you have just a physical Strong's Dictionary. And so that word stands for, if you want to write that down in your notes, and the actual spelling you'll find here, is P-E-I-R-A-Z-O. And what does that mean? To make proof of attempt to test. And so we see that this word gives us the full definition of what it meant in this actual verse. And then if you read under where it says helps word studies, it says originally to test, to try, which was its usual meaning in the ancient Greek. So in other words, when we, he was being tempted or he was being tried or the he was being Proven, that's another word that actually you can use to get a good understanding of that. So if we continued on, he was in the wilderness to be tempted or tried or proven, right? And then, so you want to think about that. You, you're thinking, well, I was thinking, well, why would the, why in the world would the spirit of God want to lead Jesus into the wilderness, first of all, and then why to be tempted? So keep those questions in mind. So if we look at the word here, we see this word devil. And again, we hear it so much, but actually, you know, what does it actually mean? You know, when we, when we hear that word devil. And so I want you, you can jot this down in your notes. It's the Greek entry for Strong's 1228 and think of diablos or diabolical if you remember hearing that word at any point in time. And that's translated into our English word, the traducer. And what does that mean? To speak badly or tell lies about someone to damage their reputation, a false accuser 
and slanderer. So why is it important to know that? Well, it's important to know that to show that he has not changed his, you know, what he he tries to do even in our lives to damage reputations, to speak boldly. And so that's why we speak badly. You know, Jesus has given us all authority in Luke 10 and 19 to trample upon. You know, he shouldn't just have free reign in any of our lives. So let's keep going. If you note, it says 40 days. So let's see what that note says. Just know, real quick fact, that Moses, Elijah also fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the time when Israel was in the wilderness, similar, you know, 40 years. And so you could look at those references in Deuteronomy 9, 9 through 18, Exodus 34 and 28, 1 Kings 19 and 8. So if we continue on, you notice you can highlight on your in your Bible, the son of God right? The tempter comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, well, it's always good for us. If, if the enemy knows the titles of God or for Christ, what we should know the titles as well. And so when we look at this, we are reminded of Luke 1, 30, 35, where it reads, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, Jesus, to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So my goodness, the devil even knew, just like Mary knew, the devil knew who Jesus actually was. And then when we look at the word bread, we know that here Satan is tempting Jesus to use his own power to provide for his needs without relying on God. So what do we mean by that? You know, when you first look at this, you want to think that it is a physical temptation because he is hungry. So, of course, you want to put food in, in front of someone to tempt them. But also, here's something that I came across was that another way to think about it is not just physically, could he be tempting Christ to use his power at a time when he shouldn't use his power? You know, what do I mean by that? When you think of when he spoke to Pilate, he said, I could call, you know, legions of angels to come fight on my behalf. You know, so we see that Jesus Christ, he alone determines when he's going to use his power. He doesn't need the enemy to come by and ask him or tempt him when to actually use his own power. Now, here's the question. What did Satan tempt Eve with in the garden? So you can go back to Genesis and see if you can draw some parallels and, and have some light shown uh, on that reading. So also, we again, we see that term Man, highlight that in your Bible, should not live on bread alone. Again, on the physical. And so again, we see here, there's another word study, Strong's Concordance 4487, and that's pronounced rhema. Okay. And so if you look under the word study, again, rhema is a spoken word a spoken word. So if you want to jot that down, it's a spoken word. So when we hear the rhema voice or the rhema word, that is a word spoken to us by the Holy Spirit, 
right? Because he says, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice, a stranger's voice. They will not follow. So we do have the written, the logos word of God, but we also have a rhema word. That's the word that Christ is referring to in this actual um, verse, in this discourse with Satan. And it's a living word. And look at that statement where it says his dynamic living word in a believer to in-birth faith. Man, I would jot that down uh, if I were you in your journal or Bible. So that just gives us an idea of what Jesus Christ was talking about because he says that, hey, Satan, I don't live by just physical food, by bread, but I live by the rhema. I live by the rhema. And so that's a teaching point for us. Are we living by the rhema? You know, are we living by the rhema uh, word of God? Or are we just, you know, doing whatever we want to do, how we want to do it, not asking God anything that pertains to our actual lives? And then if you want to write this note down, here we can see the importance of knowing and stating the word of God against the enemy. Jesus is quoting, when he comes back at Satan, he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And that Deuteronomy 8.3 is a quotation that Matthew uses from Moses to say, hey, you know, we Israelites, we don't live by bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And again, if you want to write Diablos down in your journal or in your Bible, that is another term for the devil. So again, let's start with verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. That's like the highest corner of the temple. And then what city is he we referring to here? So you can jot down in your notes, the holy city refers to Jerusalem. There are several scriptures that, you know, put the holy city and Jerusalem together in God's word. Two of those scriptures are Nehemiah 11 and 1 and then Isaiah 52 and 1. So let's read the next few verses. Verse 5 again, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Here comes the devil again, quoting scripture. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So let's see what scripture the enemy pulls out on him. He pulls out Psalm 91, 11 through 12 which tells us, you know, it's a shame um, when if if the enemy knows more than we do and we're the children of God. You know, if he's quoting scriptures left and right, it seems like it's important for us in order, just like with Christ, that we also quote back to him. You know, a good point you also want to write down is that's why it's important to read the entire Bible. Right, so that you can understand where these scriptures, how they all balance and how they all communicate. That's why it's um we're very fortunate that we have cross references. All right, let's continue. Verse seven. Jesus replied, It is also written. 
do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so that's a learning point even for us. You know, Christ is saying here, okay, devil, I got you. It is written, but it is also written, also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so where did Jesus quote from? If you want to write that down, he quoted again, Moses again in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, where Moses is speaking to the Israelites. And so let me just go ahead and get rid of that really quick. All right. So let's continue on with verse eight. I hope you are getting a lot already from this. So verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All this I will give you, he said, if you will fall down and worship me. So again, you know, here he is. He's just coming at him left and right. So let's look at this first note. Um, if you take a look at Luke ver chapter four, verse six, it says, I will give you authority over all these kingdoms and all their glory, he said, for it has been relinquished to me and I can give it to anyone I wish. So we see the gospel of Luke recording the same scenario, but we get more information because here Satan is saying, hey, it was relinquished to me and I can give it to anybody I want to. So he's really tempting Jesus here. And we know how it was re relinquished. If all we have to do is go back to Genesis. And then if you look at Ezekiel 28, 13 through 15, it says, you were in Eden. Now this is a reference to the enemy or Diablos or Satan or the devil. Verse 13, you were in Eden the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone adorned you, a ruby, topaz, and diamond, beryl, oinks, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold, prepared on the day of your creation. You were anointed as a garden cherub, for I had ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. So that is Diablos. That's the one who's in conversation with Christ at this point. And he's trying to tempt Christ by saying, hey, I'll give you all of this. You just have to do one small thing. Just, just bow down and worship me. So how does that apply to us? You know, it's the same thing now. Anytime we have something in the first place in, in our lives, instead of God, we are worshiping that thing. It could be your job. It could be a relationship, right? It's where he comes along and he tempts us. His whole, his whole um, issue is to get us to replace that number one spot with anything but God. Okay. And so then again, let's see Jesus's response before we read this note. He says again, uh, to, uh, the enemy, I'm sorry, stating all this, I will give you, he said, if you will fall down and worship me. And so we know, consider John one verses one through three, because this is who Satan is talking to. It says in the beginning was the word. 
and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things, come on, all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So why is that important? Well, how is Satan going to give Christ something that was created through him? right? And that all things were created through him and belonged to him from the beginning. It's just that it was relinquished that same thing. Adam was extended authority to subdue and dominate. And again, Satan came along through the temptation of Adam and Eve, got that. And then Jesus is back on the scene, getting back with with already what was already belonged to him rightfully. And so how can Satan tempt Christ when he owns it all? <laughs> so, I mean, that's just powerful. It just goes to show you how, you know, he, he didn't think or, you know, the enemy. He must just didn't think or remember exactly who he was. He said earlier he is the son of God. So he must have just had a momentary lapse of thought. I don't know. So let's look at this word, worship me. And so if you look here, we do have this in the Strong's Dictionary, and it means you can take your um, pen or pencil and just jot down that word reverence, reverence. And so it means to reverence. And then it says the usage is to go down on my knees, to worship, right? P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E-O, verb. It's a verb. That's what the enemy wanted. And so if we take a look at this, he's saying, if you look under the helps word study, it says to kiss the ground, to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior, to worship. That's what he wanted him to do, to fall down, prostrate oneself, to adore, to one's knees. Amazing. You know, that's what he wanted Christ to do, to to, to proscuneal him, to reverence him, to go down on his knees, to worship him. Okay. And so it's, again, this is what we get when we do a simple word study to just shed light on what actually is going on while we're actually reading these verses. Okay. Let's continue with verse 10. Away from me, Satan, Jesus declared, For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and ministered to him. So in your Bible, go ahead and highlight away from me, Satan. So we see two things that's going on. He's not just quoting scripture. He's also rebuking him. So here again, what does he use? He uses the word of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 13, again, showing us the importance of knowing scripture and being able to use it as a weapon against the enemy. And so here we notice that two things are happening. What's the two things that are happening? It says here that the devil, the devil left him left him. Okay. And then what else? That the angels came. The devil leaves, the angels come. 
all because Jesus is standing there and he knows as the son of God, what weapons that need, need to be used. And then there's a third thing that happens. It says that the angels ministered to him. Okay, so we can learn a lot. Again, devil, we know Diablos, but look at this in Revelation 12, 9, another reference to him. And the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent, remember what was in the garden, called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So he's a deceiver. He's a slanderer. He's a traducer right? He was hurled to the earth and check this out, his angels with him, because we know that the devil is not omnipresent or in other words, he cannot be everywhere at the same time, but he does have an army. He does have an army. So you have angels. Remember the reference when there's a time in the gospels where Jesus comes and uh, speaks to a man, has many devils, legion, and the devils beg him and say, you know, send us into the pigs because they needed, need an actual body. So, I mean, that's deep. We won't go too much into that, but it's just good to know that just like Jesus had angels who ministered to him, the devil has angels that also work for him. So let's look at this word ministered. What actually do we um, get from that? And it's a good reference when they're, when you're talking about angels, because in Hebrews 1.14, it says, are they not all all of them, all of them, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So here, that's showing us the angels just don't minister to Christ. They minister to us. So if we look at this, we look at the actual word ministered. We think of that same word as deacons. This word means to be an attendant or wait upon as a host friend. So if you want to take a look at that, pause the video. Um, that word, you'll find it up here in the top. D-I-A-K-O-N-E-O. -E to serve, to minister. You think of the word deacon or deacons. Okay, and so basically it's saying down here, if you look at um, 1247 again, right here, means caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active, practical way. My goodness. So that's what the angels did with Christ Jesus. And again, um, you can actually pause, actually pause the video if you need to, if you want to jot down all of those notes. So let's see law for a moment. Let's, you know, think this over. Lots happen. And if you look back, we are at verse 11. That's a lot. This already happened. <laughs> and we've only, you know, we haven't even hit the actual halfway mark. So let's just stop and think this over for a minute. There's some things that you would question. You know, I know for me, that first line, it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. That's enough right there to, you know, make you go, hmm, I think Arsenio Hall used to say that. All right, so here are some questions for you. You can answer these on your own. What were the two questions that Satan repeated to Jesus? 
That's a good recall question to help us keep that, you know, in mind. That's how we we retain what's going on when we're reading scripture. And then what areas of temptation did Satan use? You know, what areas? Like there were three temptations. So let's just take a look at this. Um, this is a note from the Life Application New Testament Commentary. The devil's temptations focused on three crucial areas. Jesus's physical needs and desires, possessions and power, and pride. And you can see 1 John 2, 15 through 16 for a similar list. This temptation by the devil shows us that Jesus was human and it gave Jesus the opportunity to reaffirm God's plan for his ministry. It also gives us an example to follow when we are tempted. So those 11 verses, I mean, they are everything, you know, when we're going through our situation. And believe me, it's easier um, said than done, but at least we have some references in the Bible that we can look at to encourage ourselves. And then search the scriptures again. How did Christ respond to Satan? What was his primary repetitive response? And again, that, that's just a recall question and it'll help seal it in within ourselves when we read the Bible. So when these things come up in our lives, we'll have a strategy. We'll have a strategy. So if you look at Ephesians 6, 17, it kind of tells you what Jesus, what method or strategy he was using. And it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Jesus Christ is literally using his sword of the spirit, cutting down the enemy with everything he's saying. Now, remember, he's quoting the scripture. The devil is not quoting some just out of the ballpark comment. He's actually quoting scripture. And Jesus is using scripture to cast down misquoted scripture. So that's good. So I want you to think about that because in the word, it says he comes disguised as an angel of light. So when we're tempted, it's usually if we're Christian, it's, you know, not going to, yes, we have the temptation of the world, but when we're dealing with the enemy, you know, a good portion of the time, he may be using God's word. And then in verse five, good recall, what can we learn about God and his angels? So hopefully what we discuss will help you um, think that through. So here, let's make it personal. Are you aware of times in your life when you know that Satan is tempting you? You know, so that's the first step. Because if we can't identify where the temptation is coming from, is it the world? Is it the flesh? Is it the devil? Is it the pride of life? What is, how do we know? And so I want you to consider these verses found in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, here we go, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. And so we just saw it in the scriptures. 
Did Jesus Christ do the will of God? Yes, he did. And so it's the same thing with us. We have to do the will of God. So we need to be able to identify where these temptations come from. Sometimes it's not Satan. Sometimes it's, it's just our own desires. You know, it's our desires, just like in the garden. It was Eve's. She had to desire something more than what she already had. Satan just came along and gave her the opportunity to operate out of a desire that she shouldn't have had in the first place. You know, you think about the desire of the eyes and when he was tempting Christ and he's saying, look, I give you all the kingdoms of this world. And then you have the pride of life. You know, he's saying, hey, to Christ, you have power. You know, you have power. If you jump off of the pinnacle of this temple, you know, you can call angels to come and they you won't dash your foot against the stone. You know, what does our pride of life look like? Maybe instead of, you know, we're not being tempted to jump off a temple, but um, maybe it's, you know, putting our job first or, um, you know, uh, relationships first or attaining material things first, the pride of life. And then when we see the term the world, we're not just talking about the physical earth. We're just talking about the world, the traditions, the customs, the the cultures of the world. And in, we're reminded in this verse, it's passing away along with its desires. But check this out. Jesus modeled it for us. But whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God remains forever. So again, yeah, enjoy your time journaling and thinking those verses through. So we're going to go on to our next section, and that's where Jesus begins his ministry. So it reads, going on from there, he saw two brothers. Now here are two more. Okay, we have um, Peter and Andrew, and now there's two more. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus called them, verse 22, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, so again, you can take your highlighter or pen or pencil, draw a box around James or circle, doesn't matter, and John. And then we look at verse 22. Now, there has been some discussion. Because we don't read our Bibles, you know, I'm going to work on that, in chronological order, that there are some that have said this immediately is not like, okay, just immediately, you know, in the sense that this is the first time they're meeting Jesus and they just drop everything and that they leave, you know, um, some believe or through the timeline or reading the gospels in chronological order that they had met, Jesus Christ had met some of these disciples before. But now in this instance, even though they had already met him, then it became immediately, right? It wasn't as if, okay, I'm seeing you for the first time and immediately I leave. Well, I've already met you on occasion and then you came around again. And so now I'm comfortable immediately, you know, not, I shouldn't use the word comfortable, but I'll just say, you know, immediately, we can't argue with the scriptures. It does say immediately they left the boat. And I thought that was powerful because, you know, leaving the boat is one thing. But leaving our relationships is another. Leaving, you know, their father, you know, we don't know how close they were. 
It says he was called the son of Zebedee. So that he had, you know, it's, it's not always easy. Uh, you know, I'll just speak for myself. It's not always easy leaving your parents and moving somewhere and, you know, relocating and all of that. Um, but sometimes that's just uh, what it is, what we're, we're called to do. So let's see, Law, pause, reflect for a moment. Do you believe there is a cost to follow Christ? Okay, and then what scriptures help you um, see the answer to that? And when you think about the phrase fishers of men, what do you what meaning do you attach to it? And then what other verses come to mind when you think about the cost of following Christ? So I'm going to mute myself in the sense that I won't answer that so that you can, you know, the Holy Spirit will f- help you formulate through his word your answers to those questions. And so our next section is Jesus heals the multitude. So, I mean, he's been baptized and Jesus Christ is on the move. Again, we have our actual um, cross references. We have Mark chapter 3, verse, verses 7 through 12, and then Luke 6, verses 17 through 19. And so let's read 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. You could highlight that preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So I'm just going to stop right there. So it says teaching in their synagogues. So let's just go ahead and just look or, or draw a square or circle, whatever you'd like around. What was he actually doing? He was teaching. What else was he doing? He was preaching. And lastly, he is, oops, let's fix that. He is healing. Okay, that's why using, you know, pictures and diagrams and symbols, it just helps everything stand out. And so, you know, there's some questions that we can think of, but let me, I'll get to those questions in a minute. Let's take a look at this word synagogue. And so in the synagogues, if you look at Acts 13, 14 through 15, Luke 4, 16 through 17, and those times they frequently read the scriptures in the synagogue, you know, and which you would wonder what happened to that. Why are we not reading well we we read you know we get certain verses but as far as they read the scriptures it wasn't just you know i'm going to read a verse here verse here but in the temple in the synagogues they read jesus christ it says that he was given the scroll and he stood up to read which tells us why reading is very important and so we also see what he did he was teaching he was preaching and he was healing. You know, we can't argue with the word. So let's look at um, this actual note from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. Therefore, it seems obvious that Jesus intended healing to be a part of the Christian mission of deliverance. His great commission includes the promises they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He extends this commission on the basis of his atonement, his compassion, and his promise of power to fulfill his word. So what does that mean? We're the body of Christ. 
And so we teach, we preach, we heal. We, we have been given that authority to heal. That's part of the signs. That's part of the wonders. That's part of the miracles. So we shouldn't be sitting around like we do. And I've been guilty of doing is being like doubting Debbie, you know, when, when there is a healing. Because sometimes in our mind, we're trying to reconcile supernatural things in our mind and it can't be reconciled. You know, it just, it really just cannot be reconciled. So I would, um, if you'd like to, you could go ahead and let's just pick a different color here. I just want to draw a line, just connecting those, just connecting those, you know, that he was teaching, preaching and healing. Okay. And then I love the fact that it says here every, every disease and sickness among the people. So it wasn't like, you know, hey, I'll heal you, but I won't heal you. I'll heal you, but I won't heal you, which tells me, you know, you have to figure out your own belief system. I don't think for me and my belief system, does he change his mind? I don't believe so. I believe it's his will that we're all, that we're healed. Now, does that always happen in reality? No, it doesn't. You know, it, it doesn't always happen or the way we think healing takes place. Let's say it that way. So do we understand fully, you know, well, why was this person healed and why was that? Again, I'm, I personally cannot take my limited mind to try to understand fully a sovereign God and supernatural works. But what I will want to, would would like to do in my belief system is I want to at least err on the side of being positive. That yeah, hey, he seeks to heal me, and not ninety nine percent of the time, not eighty percent of the time, but all the time. Now whether or not I am healed, there may be some underlining reasons that I don't always understand. I'm not saying I as in you know. Um, you know, there's some situation, bad situation going on. I'm just using that personal pronoun as an example. I had to clear that up because I don't want to, I don't want to confess anything over myself right now. Um, so that you just got to study the scriptures and allow the, the Holy Spirit to teach you and to give us revelation. Remember that rhema, that rhema word. So let's continue. Verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him. Here we go again. We can't look that over. I'm just going to highlight this time. All who were ill. All, not some, not maybe, all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering acute pain. I don't know about you. Sometimes I suffer acute pain. The demon possessed those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. I want to put actually I'm am going to put that, you know, take the liberty. All, 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 all. Okay. And so we can see here. We can see here that Jesus Christ. I don't know. Let me just go ahead and delete that just so it'll look a little neater. You know, it, again, we just can't take my, growing up, my parents would say, my family would say, don't take anything from the scriptures and don't add anything to it. 
You know, we do, we add by trying to understand some things, but we don't change the truth in scripture. So look at verse 25, the large crowds that follow him came from Galilee, the Decapolis, or that's the 10 city region, a district in Syria, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan, the Jordan River. So that ends the chapter. Selah, take a moment, pause, reflect, think. This is a very important chapter in the life of any Christian. It's it, There's no more, um, I don't know if I could even emphasize it anymore, where I suggest to you, go back over it. You know, allow the Holy Spirit to give you revelation. Do your own research. You know, have your Bible, your court concordance, the internet. Be careful on the internet, though. Um, you know, whatever books, Bibles, translations, go back and just allow God to just minister to you through the word because there are some practical applications that we need to understand. So after reading the verses, do you believe, well, I almost answered it, but again, that's my belief system according to what I read. And I believe that everybody has to read truth, truth, absolute truth and come to their own conclusion through the Holy Spirit. So after reading the verses, do you believe that healing and deliverance is for all people? And remember, the question isn't, does it will healing and deliverance in our life, do we note or do we observe that it happens for all people? Just do you believe that it's, in another words, way to say it is available for all people? Okay, so just think that through. And then we have the footnotes that we used throughout. Um, And again, that was the Berean Study Bible. So again, that was just the highlight of scriptures that ministered to me. Go through as you read the logos. Allow that rhema voice of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you to minister to you and speak absolute truth. Remember what he says, a stranger's voice, you will not follow. Be like the Bereans and search the scriptures. So here's where we get an opportunity to just uh, jot down our thoughts or just sit and meditate or reflect. You know, I find that um, by going through, you get, it, it forces you to meditate. You know, sometimes what we do is just read through the Bible, but he doesn't say to just read, but that we are to meditate on it day and night. So here are some questions, um, that you might want to write down or reflect on or think about. But now that you have read Matthew four, Do you have any unanswered questions regarding any of the material that you read? And what have you learned about, if you think about the subject of temptation, like how Christ handled it and what have you learned about how to handle uh, temptation? Um, What have you learned about following Christ? Um, What does it take? Uh, Has your ideas changed? And then have you learned any new strategies when you feel you are being harassed by the enemy? You know, can there, are there examples of how Christ handled the enemy? Um, anything that you have learned after reading? 
And then lastly, are you comfortable enough to share what you have learned? And I hope your answer is yes. scan the QR code and get an idea of how I am feeling after reading this chapter. You know, the word of God should elicit a response so you can scan the QR code to see what I'm probably feeling right about now. And we have the book of the law, you know, the law, the entire counsel of God. And so we are able to meditate on it day and night. You know, we find that in Joshua 1, 8, where he says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate day and night and then you will make your way prosperous and then we will have good success. So if you are listening to this and um, you are not saved, the angels and God has ordered your steps. I pray that you take this salvation invitation and all you have to do is read through this. You can pause the video, but what it is, is just a process that God has laid out to be invited into his kingdom. It's like step one. And so it's based on Romans 10, nine through 13. So if you're ready and you're feeling the Lord calling you into his kingdom, just repeat after me, heavenly father, I come to you today and I acknowledge and confess with my mouth that you are Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And therefore, as of today, I am saved. God, you said in your word that all I have to do is believe with my heart and this results in my being justified. I'm being freed from the guilt of sin and I'm be being made acceptable unto you. God, I confess this with my mouth open. I also know, God, that you said in your word that whoever believes in him, that is, adheres to trust and relies on him will not be disappointed. I am so glad, God, that you make no distinction between people, but you are the Lord of all of us, abounding in riches. And so I thank you because because of today, God, that I am being called into your kingdom. And you said that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Thank you, God, and amen. So we come to this time of intercessory prayer, and that's just where we just thank God for being with us. And then we also take that time to pray for any anyone in your life. And so if you'll just join with me, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for being so faithful to us. We thank you for being Yahweh Jireh or Jehovah Jireh in our lives and providing everything that we need you are a great God. You are Hagadol, the great, great God. And so we bless your holy name. We ask you, God, to just continue to reveal yourself to us 
in your holy word. This prayer we lift up to your throne. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen and amen. And so again, we end with the blessings and where it says the blessing, excuse me, Yahweh will bless you and watch over you. Yahweh will smile on you and be kind to you. Yahweh will look on you with favor and give you peace. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He says in his word, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. We will not let the rocks cry out on our behalf. So right now, lift up a hallelujah, lift up a praise. He is truly worthy to be extolled and to be exalted in the earth. The great God, let his name ring out in your earth, in your environment, in your atmosphere today. These things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.